Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I would like to acknowledge the Wajuk Noongar people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And it's Nidoc Week. Happy Nidoc Week. Yeah. How cool is that? So did you have a moment of wonder this week? I am dying to know. So I think my moment of wonder this week was actually just, I have been cooking dinner a lot while I've been in Perth and mum did a couple of nights and then I was like, okay, I'll cook dinner again. And I did normally what I do is I look up some recipes and then I go grocery shopping and all that stuff. But this week I was just like, yeah, I'll just see what's in the fridge and I will make something. And so I cooked dinner without a recipe on one night and Mm. then... The next night I cooked dinner without a recipe again and I had this moment where I was like, okay, my parents were like, this is delicious. And then I sat there and I went, oh my gosh, I can cook. Mm -hmm. This is it. Mm -hmm. After years and years of saying to myself, I don't like cooking and then finally accepting that, okay, I do actually like cooking, but I always cook with a recipe. It's now gotten to the point where I can identify flavors and things that match together Mm -hmm. on my own with confidence. Yay! How cool is that? I can cook. I am really <laughs> proud of you. I love this. And also, I just want to recommend a book to you. Um, I think it's called The Cook's Apprentice. I will send you the link to it because it has all of the items in it. Ooh. So it's like ingredient based. So you can like use the index and then go and look. So it's more like, what do you have in your fridge? Oh, I've got these three eggplants that I got in my farmer's market box or whatever. Yeah. What can I make with eggplant? And then it says four eggplant recipes that are really basic and you can like schmick them up however you like. Amazing. But yeah. I think it's so good when you start feeling confident you're like yeah I'll try it because in our household we have this phrase which is if it sucks we'll get takeout so Mm. you might as well try yeah Hmm. it just felt like a little bit of magic when I was like oh yeah feta and this and this and then of course paprika because I put paprika in everything smoked paprika Mm -hmm. it's the best yeah I ended up using up things that my parents weren't going to use so I'm like I might as well use it and felt like a little bit of witchcraft so I was very proud of myself I'm proud of you too that's awesome I'm sorry that you've had such a tough week things are tough down in your neck of the woods but um everybody keeps Keeps going out and breathing on each other. Stop it. Disgusting. Did you have a moment of wonder anyway? Well, I had a great moment where a mysterious box arrived full of lovely <laughs> stationery. And it was a birthday present from you. Thank you. I'm very excited. I've got some washi tape. You can hear it crinkling. And I have this beautiful <laughs> new watercolor set that I like literally cannot wait to try. Look at the colors. Yeah. I mean, I that's know cool. that you got it for me, but I'm still very excited because mm-hmm. I love all these stationary things. And I was laughing about it to Simon because I said, oh, yeah, Jen was asking me completely innocently what stationary I like. And I literally sent her my entire inventory and photos along with extremely detailed <laughs> things that I, I was just like, man, I just walked right into that one. <laughs> Um, but that was actually really convenient because I did need new stationery. So that was a, a genuine ask on my behalf. And then you were like, oh, yeah, this is an Australian store. And I'm like, oh, an Australian store, you say? Well, that solves that problem. It was just really funny. So that was like the best moment. And then I had a personal moment where I had to be tough. And I really hate being mean. Mm. But I was mean. And um, it was for all the right reasons. And I was right to do it. But it sucked. It still sucks. I still feel bad. But I did the right thing. And I'm proud of myself for doing the right thing. So I was mean. I was tough. But I did it. I don't think you were mean at all. But I'm also proud of you. (laughs) Thanks. It's just really hard to get around this particular person. Like, there's no gainsaying them. And, like, it's not a bad relationship or anything. It's just, like, the communication styles are so different that there's no way to get that understanding Mm. when we're at different places without it being a thing. 
myself. That's tough. But you did the hard thing, so good for you. Thanks. This is a this is a good segue into the book about a girl doing all of the hard things. Yeah, we're so excited. <laughs> so excited to start our new book. Oh, should I should I read the blurb first? Yeah, maybe let's do that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're reading Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Kath and Ren are identical twins, and until recently they did absolutely everything together. Now they're off to university, and Ren's decided she doesn't want to be one half of a pair anymore. She wants to dance, meet boys, go to parties, and let loose. It's not so easy for Kath. She would rather bury herself in the fan fiction she writes, where there's romance far more intense than anything she's experienced in real life. Now Kath has to decide whether she's ready to open her heart to new people and new experiences, and she's realizing there's more to learn about love than she ever thought possible. How lovely. And for our overall theme for this book, we actually chose identity, which I think is great because so much of this book is about finding out who you are and how you fit in your world. Mm. And so I think it'll be a really interesting lens to apply overall as we go through it. Yeah, I actually really found a lot of identity in the first few chapters that we studied this week. Mm. And maybe it's because we're at the beginning of the book, so we're getting a lot of that like character exposition. But also, I just have to say, as a writer, Rainbow Rowell can make somebody so real. Like, you don't need all of the details. Like, I tend to info dump when I write my characters and then like take it all out later. But I get like 10 sentences with Levi and he's a fully formed character. So yeah, the thing (laughs) I really like about Rainbow as a writer is how she is a dialogue heavy writer. Mm-hmm. Like I am a dialogue heavy writer as well. It's I kind of pride myself on my dialogue. It's one of the things I always got the best feedback on. And so like to see that in action in someone else's writing is really exciting as well. Because often you get, you know, people would be like, you need to add more context and you can't just do dialogue. But I want to just do dialogue. Yeah. And like sometimes the dialogue is enough. Mm. And it's really open to interpretation. So there was a part where Kath was talking to a cute older guy and he laughed and she looked down and I'm like, oh, I wonder if she was like embarrassed or just like, oh, someone noticed me. Like I wanted to know why, but it's left open. Mm. Mm -hmm. I just love her writing. It's so good. Okay, so tell me why you're excited about this book. Okay, so I've read this book a lot, and I did go to university, like I did go to college, like in the U.S., where you go away and go to school, but I didn't live in the dorms, and I didn't have a roommate who might or might not have been a cell phone pervert, like Kath is worried about. I just missed out on that experience, and like at the time, I had a million excuses that were actually really solid, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, 100%, those were things that we could have gotten around, and that was so my anxiety, just saying like, I can't live with a stranger for a year. Like, I just can't. I can't live with a stranger Mm. for a year. And I really regret not kind of making that leap because I think in a lot of ways it would have been better for me. And so whenever I read this book, I think that's the experience I could have had if I had had somebody, anybody pushing me to like just go and do the thing. So it's a bit like nostalgia and it's a bit bittersweet because I also have a lot of the same anxieties that Kath does and it used to be a lot worse for me. So how about you? Why are you excited to read this book? Well, it's interesting because similarly to you, I did not have that kind of university college experience. I lived at home when I went to uni. So that was just not really a thing. And I think in Australia, really, yeah, the dorms are not really a thing. But I think what I really love about this book is the exploration of fandom. So I Mm. am a fangirl. I'm a fangirl many, many times over for many different things. I think it just really appeals to that kind of obsessive part of my brain that just like likes to fixate. So, you know, I am a fangirl for sports teams, for music, for bands, for movies, for TV shows. I've just been through it with so many different things on so many different levels. And I almost did a PhD in fan culture and I did my honours thesis actually in identity through fan culture Mm. specifically. So this is really, this is my niche 
niche. I like this kind of identity formation through the things that you love and how we express our things. And I think Kath is just incredibly relatable. Yeah, and it's also just something a little bit lighter than some of the things we've read previously. So yeah, it's, we needed a nice yeah. coming of age story that wasn't like life and death. I'm interested in the more human stakes rather than the fate of the world stakes. <laughs> so, you know, and it's good. I'm excited. I'm excited to delve into this with you because I think we're going to have some really great conversations. Yay. I'm excited to get into it with you. You're much more of like a fandom person than me. I just really started getting into fandoms. Like I've always liked stuff, but I didn't realize there was community around it until like I was in my late 20s. Mm. It's interesting because my experience of fandom is not like Kath's. Like Kath is a creator. She partakes mm-hmm. in the fandom. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've always kind of been a lurker. I always have too much anxiety to actively participate. Right. You know, like I sort of skim over the top, but I'm still like really observant and I love the identity and everything that goes into it. So I've done a lot of studying of how fan cultures work and the history of fandom and all these things and how it started and fan fiction and all this stuff. I just find it so fascinating. You're in the meta fandom. Yeah, basically. I'm a bit, I'm in the fandom for the fandom. I love that. There's a lot of literature on like how being part of a community can make those connections that we all need and crave. Like it can improve our lives to be part of something. And if you share something with someone else and you both love it and you can talk about why you love it, it's just it's yeah. a really beautiful way to connect to other people because sometimes you wouldn't maybe have this ability to connect without this third thing that you like. I mean, that is just small talk, isn't it? You find something you have in common with someone mm. else and then you talk about it. And that is essentially what fandom is. You're finding the things you have in common and sharing your love for yeah. it. And one of my favorite things to do is to draw distinctions and connections between fandoms. Like, I get really annoyed when sport fans act like they're better <laughs> than, say, One Direction fans. Because I'm like, guys, I hate to break it to you, but the psychology of you being obsessed with Arsenal is not that different from someone being obsessed with Harry Styles. Oh my gosh. Let us unpack this. It's literally the same thing. Like, and in fact, I'd say that sports is the biggest fandom in the world. Well, when you come visit me in New Zealand, I'll take you to a rugby game because I think that is just a national rite of passage. For real life, I would love to go. Yeah. Exciting. We'll make it work. Yay! I'm heated up about fandom now. Yeah. So we read the first four chapters through the theme of waiting, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty good. Um, do you have a story about waiting for us? Yeah, I do. So waiting feels like a very timely topic <laughs> because all I've been doing for the last three weeks is waiting. Mm. And if I kind of extrapolate that backwards for over the last year, what I've been doing is waiting. I think we've all been waiting. You know, we've been waiting for the world to return to normal after everything that's happened. Yeah. But I think to stick to the more recent example, you know, I've been waiting to find out if I can go home, if New Zealand would be opening its borders. And so as part of that, I've been waiting to see what happens with COVID. You know, what's happening in the rest of Australia? What are the cities doing? I wait every day to find out if there are new cases. I wait to see what the restrictions will be or with, you know, will they stop today or will they be extended? And then, you know, yesterday I had to go get a COVID test, a pre-departure test. So that was another two hours waiting in line in the car out the front because it was a drive-through test center. Mm. And the thing that I really noticed was I used to be an incredibly impatient person and I would get really anxious and stressed if I had to wait or if I didn't know what was happening you know just that moment where you're sitting and there's no information because it's just waiting Mm -hmm. so there's nothing nothing is happening and my anxiety would just build and build and build and what strikes me now is how I just take things as they come like I still get frustrated there's that moment where I'm a bit anxious but I can recognize it immediately and then I just watch it wash away like the tide Mm -hmm. going back from the shore like I can just watch that stress go away from me and I just think that's incredible like I can just deal with the situation in front of me it doesn't eat at me the way it used to and a lot of that is therapy (laughs) like that's just something that I've worked on but I think another thing is also just recognizing that I can't change this thing that I'm waiting for it is something that is outside of me so what can I control so even as I 
I wait? I'm making plans for my time here. So before I knew whether I was going to be able to go home, you know, two weeks ago, in my head I was already going, okay, well, if you can't go home, what are you going to do? Mm. So I ordered a bunch of books online. I ordered, you know, some new shampoo because my shampoo had run out. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to wait till I get home and use whatever's here. I will get the one that I want. You know, that sort of thing. Because I have to keep living as well. I can't just wait forever and wait for a resolution. So, you know, I feel like there's still a lot of waiting in my future. And in all our futures. Because we're all waiting for life to get back to this magical sense of normal. We don't know if it'll happen or when. But we wait because we wanted to get back to that. So here's to everyone waiting. But let's not forget to live while we do it. I really love that. Um... Do you want me to do the reading summary? Yeah, go on. So in this section, we meet Kath Avery, freshman at UNL. She moves into her new dorm. She meets her roommate's best friend, boyfriend, cigarette buddy, Levi, and then meets Regan herself. Uh, Kath and her twin sister, Ren, are in a weird stasis of not really communicating. Kath survives her first day of classes and sets a boundary with Levi. Regan realizes that Kath is kind of a weird mess and bullies her into being friends with her. Yes, she does. (laughs) I think we should talk about the meta text. Yeah. That's a really important part of the novel, and it's one that I really struggle to focus on because anytime there's an interstitial, anytime there's like a quote in the front of a book, my eyes just slip right past it. But I have been listening to the audiobook and a different voice does the interstitials and the Simon Snow bits, which actually really helps. So I actually paid Mm. way more attention this time. Um, So Gemma T. Leslie Simon Snow is a fictional series that Kath has dedicated her life to loving. She's a big name fan and she writes slash fiction of Simon and Baz. And she's basically reimagining the end of the series to her satisfaction. And Kath is a fantastic writer writer but she doesn't have her own sandbox yet so this is the term I use a lot when I talk about why I don't write fan fiction it's because I don't want to play in anyone else's sandbox I really love other people's worlds and canons and I would feel weird kind of going in and like rearranging their furniture that's how I feel fair enough the way that these snippets of Simon Snow work is it's kind of a a tool in understanding Kath herself and I really want to point out at the beginning that the first Simon Snow book was published the same year that their mom left Mm. so I think when you have this really awful experience and then you latch onto something and you start pouring so much of your identity into it it's really formative Mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be proven to be really formative for both of them and then my last sort of thing that I want to posit is I think that Kath is Baz and that Ren is Simon and I would like to invite conversation about this Oh, wow. Kath is Baz, hey? Yeah, she's super misanthropic. She does not want to make friends. She is not there to meet people. She's basically in college against her will. Yeah, okay. No, I like that. Except, you know, of course, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm going to have to think about it. But I'm thinking about it in terms of, like, the way that she holds herself above and apart and, like, won't be warm and friendly. Whereas, like, Ren is more the impulsive, like, friendly, willing to kind of go out there and be a bit brash and sometimes yeah rude and egotistical which the like mm-hmm, Gemma mm-hmm. T. Leslie Simon Snow is yeah so yeah yeah I see where you're getting that yeah from. that's my hypothesis is that that's kind of the parallel I'm working with and obviously the twins aren't romantic but there's also that like two halves of the whole yeah exactly you can't have one without the other Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it interesting to draw that parallel that the books came out when her mum left. So she has this kind of trauma that she's transferred into the books mm. because that is an experience that I have had with Harry Potter. Mm. I was horrifically depressed when we first moved to Australia and the only way I could cope would be to read. And so I became really invested in Harry Potter. I reread those first four books so many times. Mm. And then when Order of the Phoenix came out in 2003, it sort of just became this whole thing. And as you know, like Harry Potter is a tenant of my personality. Mm-hmm. Like it is a touchstone and I think a lot of that is from that initial kind of trauma processing like that's how I processed my trauma so Kath is sort of in the same situation that she's used these books as a means to cope and they've become foundational yeah 
being a Simon Snow fan is a huge part of her identity. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed when I was reading through this chapter, and I'd love to get your input on this, I focused on two different aspects of identity. So like when you identify something like this is a rock, this is an igneous rock, you can tell because of these characteristics. That means it's like an immutable Mm -hmm. thing and that's how you identify it, right? So its identity is immutable, which I think is how Ren feels about them being twins. Like she feels like they are a part of a set and if she doesn't break away now, she's never going to break away and it will just always be Kath and Ren. But I think that the second definition is more like the personal definition, which is a set of characteristics that distinguishes a person from other people. So when we're looking at like what our own identity is we can like reach for the things we like and what we would do and like who we think we are and how other people view us and like it's this whole big pot but it is quite mutable and it does change we can evolve it doesn't change instantly it never happens overnight but you can change like small behaviors that then become large behaviors that become traits you know Mm -hmm. um and i think that one of the really interesting things about identity is this book is about kath it is from kath's point of view but it's really not just about kath i think there's a lot unsaid about ren and how she's struggling more with her identity than kath is because kath actually knows who she is down to her bones she doesn't want to meet new people she's aware of her anxiety and she does not like it she doesn't want to meet new people she doesn't want this random guy in her room when her roommate's not there she doesn't even want her roommate there like she is very clear in who she is and she also like she's rational while she's having these panic attacks and going there's nothing wrong I should not be doing this so she actually knows who she is really well and I kind of admire that because like when you first think about this like poor girl can't do anything you know I sort of get the impression that I'm meant to think she doesn't know who she is but she 100% does yeah i thought it was really interesting when she was talking to regan in that sense about you know where we see the theme of waiting is that she waited so long to go to the dining room the dining hall Mm. because she you know decided she didn't know where it was and then she felt really anxious about it and uh, lol been there Mm -hmm. but then when regan eventually calls her out on it in the fourth chapter she says you know i've built up a block about it and i think the fact that she can recognize that that she can stop and say yeah you know i feel anxious and i have a block about Mm. going to the dining room is actually a massive thing because for the longest time i didn't know i had anxiety I didn't know I was anxious. I thought this was just how life was. And the way you would talk yourself out of going into things or how you had to psych yourself up. This is what I identify with a lot when Kath is going to her first classes because that's how I felt when I first was going to class, right? You were so hyper aware of yourself mm-hmm. walking into a lecture hall and all these things. And ah, it makes me uncomfortable just thinking about yeah. it. And the fact that she knows that already, I wish I knew that when I was, what, 18? Seriously, why on earth don't they have a buddy system? (laughs) I mean, I guess your roommate is meant to be your buddy system, but like they kind of do need a buddy system where there's just like a person who's willing to be accountable for someone else because that helps. And I think the reason that Kath is feeling so adrift is because Ren has opted out of that and she's Mm. always had a buddy. She's always had someone who is reassuring. Yeah, it's like she says in chapter three, you know, Ren didn't take up space the way that Regan did. Mm. Ren didn't feel like company. She was just a part of her. And I think the real shock here is that Kath never considered that Ren wouldn't want to continue that so she isn't prepared for it and then Ren doesn't wait like she's an example of me of not waiting she is just forcing her life to march at an alarming speed she wants a college experience that she's constructed in her head and she's gonna make it happen whether it's there or not yeah I mean she doesn't even wait to meet her roommate she meets her beforehand and then she goes and chops off all her hair and she kind of forces this identity change she changes her identity overnight she's decided this is the person I'm gonna be Mm. And that doesn't stick. Like, that doesn't hold. Like, when I moved to Australia, I was like, great, this is an opportunity for me to reinvent who I am. I'm not going to be the nerd that I was, even though I was a very happy nerd. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be like that overachiever at school. I'm just not going to do it. But guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Did not hold. 
I heard my daughter saying to another girl, and she was like, oh, yeah, I told her I'm a little bit of a math nerd. And she said she was, too. And I was like, this is so cute that it's, like, a positive part of her identity that she's like, oh, I'm a math nerd. Like, this is something I really enjoy. And, like, she's okay at math, but she's not, like, a math superstar, you know? But she just likes yeah. it, so she considers herself a math nerd. I love that that's part of her identity. I just think there's power in that as well. Like, for me, I feel like I do like Harry Potter, and I don't make any bones about that. People will know that if they talk to me about it. But I mean, like, if I'm at work and you're looking at me, you're not going to know straight up that I'm a Harry Potter fan. You don't wear cloaks to work. No, I mean, I, I would. No. <laughs> I, have a, I have a colleague who thinks that it's all very childish and he, you shouldn't be into it. And I just lean into it so hard. And then he can't use that against me because I'm like, yeah, I am into it. Mm. And then if I accept it, it can't be weaponized against me. Exactly. It's embracing the things that other people would make fun of you for. And if you own it fully, then it's really hard for them to get a leg in the door of being able to hurt you. Yeah, I think anything that allows people to make sense of their place in the world is fine. Where people enjoy things. It needs to be you and yourself. Like, it can't be a conversation you have about... Like, fictional characters, I love putting sorting into houses. But, like, it really can't be something that you're judging other people on. Yeah, I think that, you know, this whole conversation really leans into fan identity mm. and what Kath's fan identity says about her. So I saw this play out in a couple of ways. When she goes to lunch with Courtney, Rain's roommate, and Courtney has this whole thing where she's like, I'm a huge Simon Snow fan. I read all the books when I was a kid, which is infantilizing, firstly. But secondly... <laughs> Kath, Kath is skeptical of the fact that Courtney is a fan and also she says you know they're not over the eighth book doesn't come out until next year like she's so like dismissive of Courtney's kind of attitude it was a bit and it just reminds me yeah it reminds me of my friends we often have conversations where we talk about you know they're just not they're not fans like we are they're not real fans mm. I talk to my friend Meredith about this a lot because she is a huge George Michael fan and she can't be around other George Michael fans because they don't understand it the way that she does yeah. which is totally fair like I've been there where you're just like mm, I can't have this conversation with you because you just don't understand yeah. where I'm at and I feel like that's where Kath is with her Simon Snow fandom because she also says to Regan well she thinks that when she's talking to Regan she says she wasn't just a Simon Snow fan she was one of the fans a first name only fan with fans of her own it's like she is top tier she is yeah she gets 20,000 hits regularly that is a huge amount of readership and I love that she has these like real and complex relationships and later she actually meets a fan of her own but she doesn't out herself because she's weird about that stuff. Yeah. Which I love. Like, I would not have any chill about it. I think that there's something really important about the way that Ren is rejecting that too. Mm -hmm. Because Kath actually says very plaintively, like, I wish you were still reading it. And Ren's like, isn't every ninth grader in America still reading it? She blows off the yeah. question, but she doesn't actually say, I'm not. I also don't like how she makes it sound like it's a childish thing. It's an infantile thing, mm. right? She is distancing herself from the fandom because she is too mature for that now. She's got her mature face on. You know, yeah. she is so grown up. We've spoken about that on Tumblr. Tumblr where you've got these young'uns on Tumblr oh having a crack at people being older and being on Tumblr. And it's like, you don't stop being a fan of something. You don't stop existing just because you're over 30, no, right? my best like, fandom years are yet to come. Like, when my kids are grown up and can look after themselves better, I am going to dive in more. And it also just dismisses the fact that fandom exists because of older women. The Star Trek fandom back in ye olde days of the 70s. You know, that's where it all started. So basically our, like, mothers and grandmothers did all of this legwork for yeah. us to be fans. Like, the Beatles were originally a boy band. They were One Direction. Absolutely. And that girls. was Teen Girls. Yeah. I, I just, I want to say that I think Ren is not being true to her actual identity. 
like going on from what we were talking about, how she dodges the question of or dodges the comment about whether or not she's reading. I get the feeling she's trying to be like college Barbie, Mm. like she's putting on all the clothes and she's putting on all the behaviors and she's like dressing herself up to be this person. Um, And she's really annoyed because Kath is this like physical visual reminder that she was not this person before. And maybe isn't now. And I think that would be really annoying if you always had somebody who walked around looking exactly like you and had your face. It was like last year's version of you. Like that would be really hard, especially if you're trying to like establish your identity. I wonder if there's also something in that because Kath doesn't want to change mm. and Rain does because she, I don't know, she wants to be a more mature version. She thinks she should be because she's going to college. There's an expectation that she has this experience like she's built up in her head Mm. that she wants to Mm -hmm. have and so the fact that Kath doesn't want it must be really grating yeah it's like why are you making me stay back here I want to be moving forward to me it feels like Ren has to have it all or nothing so it has to be like we have to just change and go our separate ways but like she can't just have a new friend and accept Kath into the fold she's made it so difficult for both of them like she didn't tell Kath that she was not going to be a roommate she didn't tell her about getting a haircut she basically just ghosted her sister on a lot of these important things and Mm -hmm. like she knows she knows about Kath's anxiety like they have worked through this four years together and I'm just wondering like I know that we'll see Ren develop more as the story goes on but I just kind of want to watch out for that like her fluctuations in identity I think are going to be really important because as Kath grows stronger Mm -hmm. and more confident in herself and like actually becomes more open we see that the way that Ren has been going about it is actually like really unhealthy yeah I think that's a good call um so I really like how misanthropic Kath is it makes me really happy that she literally says I don't want to meet new people. And are you meeting people? Levi asks. Not intentionally, Kath says. Like, I love her. I love that she's just like, no, unsubscribe. Do not want. I have conversations with this with a colleague at work all the time where we were like, oh, I'm going to a meeting. Did you meet anyone? Not intentionally. (laughs) Like, that is how we live our lives. We don't want to talk to anyone if we don't have to. So I relate. Yeah. Like, you have a certain amount of emotional spoons to give other people. And especially when you have anxiety, which just chews up so much of your brain. And she recognizes that at one point she's actually standing there going, I can't deal with this random guy standing outside my door wanting to come in. I don't, I'm overdosed on Mm. new and other today. Um, But she manages to get through that with some grace. I think it's amazing that she has the ability, again, as we said before, that she can recognize that within herself. She can recognize that I don't have the bandwidth right Mm. now to play polite games with this man. And I also don't want him in my room because he's a stranger and I don't know him. So I'm just going to tell him to stay outside. Like, that is baller. And I would not have had the uh, wherewithal to do that at that age. So, you know, points to her. Yeah. I think I would have just run away. I'm just getting something from my room and then left immediately Mm. and hid in the library. That seems like a gen move. Yeah, same. I would have, like, the lowest level confrontation possible can i just say i love regan for that comment that she makes to levi when he's like oh can we talk about range management when you're not in the room and she says i think when i'm not in the room you'll be in the hallway ah, a plus roommating regan you might not like anyone yeah like, Kath doesn't like anyone but that was awesome i think that's great like she could have made it really weird and be like kath this is my mate you know you have to let him in whatever but she was like okay no we'll respect the boundary mm. this is the line in the sand that's fine and she doesn't know kath they haven't really spoken but she still sees it and recognizes it and that's awesome that's a great thing to do yeah i did love when regan came in the room then and you know she said hey and kath said hey and kath says you know she stood there for a minute waiting for some sort of conversation to happen but regan 
didn't seem interested. But Kath doesn't start the conversation either. Mm. She sort of just stands there waiting and then she's like, okay, carry on. Yeah, I love that she's like, okay, I've given it the socially appropriate amount of time. You know, you ever have a coworker that you're like, just kind of not sure about? Yeah. I I had one. Her name was Erica. And she was deliriously funny if you were on her good side. But I never thought I was on her good side. And it wasn't until after she had left that I actually understood that she liked me. Like, we were friends in her mind (laughs) because she was just so deadpan. And like, at one point, she just turned to me and said, I will cut you into 19 pieces. And I'm like, what? Like, she could have. I would have been like, okay, if you have to, I guess. I was so scared of her. I think Regan is a bit like my friend Erica was. That, like, you just are so scared of them for no reason. It's so funny because I was talking to my friend Liz and she listens to the podcast. Hi, Liz. Um, But she was my friend from uni, I guess. Like, she's probably the only friend that I still have from university. Mm. We met because we sort of had people in common, but also we wore the same t-shirt to uni one day and that was like the end to start talking. But we were talking about this the other day and she said to me, you know, I was so worried that you hated me. Like, I always thought that you hated me. And I was like, you know, if I hated you, I would have ignored you like everyone else. (laughs) Because that is the difference. I was talking to you. I wasn't talking to anyone else. That is the key here. Because I feel like nobody would know that I hated them because I would never be able to tell them. (laughs) And I think that's what we're seeing with Regan, Mm. right? Kath says to her in chapter four, I'm not going to dinner with you. You don't even like me. And Regan says, I like you fine, which I love. Mm. Because if she didn't, she wouldn't have bothered. Yeah. And like, I love that she was just like, oh my gosh, you're just a mess and I have to deal with it. But then she does deal with it. She might be annoyed at this inconvenience of having to walk a kid down to find where food is but she does it and she does it in a way that like Mm. is appropriate for Kath right so I feel like if she had been really sympathetic and kind Kath would have just gone to pieces and it would not have worked or Kath would have been like embarrassed and not responded Mm -hmm. but the fact that she made her get mad and that was able to pull Kath out of her anxiety enough to like see like okay I'm mad this is a violation how dare they and also like she's she forgets that she's scared of Regan for a second so she's able to argue enough that Regan can kind of get that foot in the door and be like no we're having a moment we're going down we're gonna do the thing yeah and I just love how Regan also does that so they have that conversation in the dining hall where she says you know I feel sorry for you and I'm going to be your friend Kat says I don't want to be your friend I like that we're not friends and Regan's like me too I'm sorry that you ruined it by being so pathetic (laughs) it's the ultimate bicker relationship isn't it like I just love yeah they meet each other on that level it's so good they're gonna pay each other out and like it's gonna be okay because Regan's not going to get offended and Kath's already misanthropic so like she can't hate anybody worse than she already does um so I, lo- I thought there was a lot of waiting and I really wanted to talk- I really wanted to talk about how Levi's always like hanging around waiting for Regan and Regan never waits for him Levi is a Levi in waiting he like literally attends the court of their dorm room <laughs> I love it I was like oh he's like literally there to attend the events of Pound Hall 913. I love it. He's delightful. And he does do a lot of waiting, like physically waiting. I also love that he, you know, he has this conversation with Kath about him waiting in the hall. And then he's like, you've made, you made me uncomfortable. So now I'm just continue to wait in the hall. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, I also thought that there was something about waiting in, apparently this is an obsolete usage, but like I use it to watch, to observe, to look out for. Um, But I use it like wait, like wait and see. And I thought that there was an interesting comparison with, um, Hamilton and Aaron Burr I'm not standing around I'm lying in wait and I thought that's very much Kath like she's taking stock she's observing everything and I don't know that she would take an opportunity if she saw it but she's definitely not idle while she's not acting yeah and I think we definitely saw that in the class because there's a way where you can you can say that Kath is quite passive and she lets life happen to her but that's not actually true and in that classroom even though she doesn't weigh in even though she doesn't express her own opinion she is internally expressing she's internally mm. partaking And that's something that I do a lot 
as well, especially in a class situation where I won't weigh in, but I'm having that conversation in my head. Yeah. So that is the whole thing. So she's she is not just sitting back and not engaging. She's just doing it in a different way. What's the line? She says, why do I write? Kath tried to come up with a profound answer, knowing that she wouldn't speak up even if she did. Mm. She does the work. This is the important thing. Like, Kath actually does the work. I experienced this at uni where I would not speak in class for maybe you know the first eight weeks whatever but then I would hand in my first assignment and then when the tutor would give me my assignment back they always looked at me like they'd never seen me before like (laughs) they didn't they've written me off because I didn't participate Mm. and now I have done something and they've given me a really good grade and they're looking at me like they actually see me for the first time I really enjoyed that it's one of my favorite things that's your moment of conversion hmm did you have any more instances of waiting? I, like, had a whole list of waiting. Um, yeah, I mean, there were loads of references to it, which mm-hmm. I found really interesting. But the other one that I wanted to call out was kind of just all the way that all the students are waiting. Everyone's waiting for their, their first class, for this kind of college experience mm. to be what they want it to be. So in Chapter 2, it says, you know, everyone in the class looked like this was what they'd been waiting for all week. It was like they were waiting for a concert to start. Intro to fiction writing with Professor yeah. Parker. Yeah cool hey i love that she read her books i would totally have done that i did not read any of the books of my writing tutors until after i took their classes i'm like i should probably read one of their books but i think if they had been like a proper novelist would you have like if it's been something you'd seen in a bookstore rather than like a study well they they were all proper novelists oh for real oh wow yeah because you did a proper writing degree i did not so my first year writing tutors were delia falconer and james bradley they're both australian authors james bradley does a lot of climate change fiction Mm. now actually they're really interesting i would recommend reading it we were actually the first class he ever took as a tutor i don't know if he still does it um so that was interesting and then i also i did my honors degree with mandy sayer and mm. I did my, I did another class with my actual favorite class that I took was with Brent Selheim, who is a poet, mm. Australian poet. So yeah, like they're genuine, like good published award-winning authors. I just <laughs> never read their books until after I took their classes and I was like, oh, I should probably read something they've done. Mm. And they were amazing. Like I hear a lot of people talk about writing tutors and give really, they like, have really negative experiences with writing and people ended up really crushed with how they approached writing but all of my tutors were just amazing i'm so glad i had a couple really amazing ones as well a a particular one jess has like stayed my friend from uni and her mom actually writes books so um which i've read the first one of but not the second one of but i did have a really good poetry shout out to wherever you are redheaded tim (laughs) he was the person who put it into words that the smiths is a time in your life and a feeling and not like something you can just get into whenever like you have to get it at the right time that's so important I I really get annoyed when people bag out certain things that they don't gel with and I'm like you just came to it too late or at the wrong time Mm -hmm. in your life if you had read it at a different time you would feel differently that is not a value judgment on whether it's good or bad I don't think that you can dismiss a work just because you don't like it like it's fair enough not to like something but it can still have value regardless of whether you like it or not absolutely but that is another another rant for another day (laughs) Anyway, off off topic, let's get back to waiting. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, waiting for the classroom, waiting for your teacher, like, waiting for a class that you're really looking forward to. Do you have a a class that you really looked forward to in uni? No. (laughs) No, really? Oh, man. I hated all my classes. Really? While I was in them, for sure. There were some I really looked forward to and was really disappointed by, and some that I really enjoyed that I didn't think I was going to enjoy. Hardcore did not think I would like theories of subjectivity took it as like okay I just need a cultural studies requirement and ended up like falling in love with it that's so nice it really was I like I I honestly and I had a really good toot as well so that helps 
like I enjoy the academia. I enjoy the academia of all my classes. Mm. But the actual act of going to class is not something that I enjoy. That's where it all falls down for me. And one of the classes that I actually hated, I hated the subject matter, I hated everything about it, was called Culture and Poetics, and it was a class that Bert Selheim took. And I loathed it. I loathed having to do the reading, I loathed having to go to class, I resented him, I resented everything about it. (laughs) But it is hands down my favourite class looking back at university. Mm. It's the one that is the most useful, it's the one that I think about the most, it's the one where I learnt the most, it's the one that challenged me the most. Yeah. And I actually tweeted him a couple of years ago being like, hey, just want to say I hated your class, but actually in retrospect it was the best thing I ever did, so thank you. And he was like, that's amazing. I'm so glad you found it useful. (laughs) Well, like that, honestly, almost all of the like things that I really take on board are things I have had to have conversations with, Mm. like a book that I found troubling or a book that I needed to reread to get more of, or like if I liked it and then dropped it and whatever. But if I go back to it, it's because I'm still in conversation with it. And that's where I find the most value. Like I want to read it. I want to talk about it. I want to dig deep. That's where the growth happens. Yeah. I like that Kath spends a lot of time waiting, like. She she waits for the right time to text her end table boyfriend. I also like that she just doesn't feel anything for this boyfriend. He's very nominal, isn't he? Like, you hear a lot mm. about him, but it's like, oh, yeah, I have to text him. But I'm going to wait till I feel, like, chill because I don't want to be a drag. Yeah. And she waits for her dad to come back after dropping Ren off. Like, she doesn't go with Ren to drop her stuff off. Um, and she makes her fans wait for an update. <laughs> I wonder about the texting thing, though, because she says, you know, she wanted to wait until she felt breezy and nonchalant before she texted him. I didn't read that as, like, a casual thing. I thought that was quite performative on her part. I thought that Mm. that was an anxiety. Like, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it while she was all worked up. She didn't want to be too much. She didn't want to be subverting his expectations of her. I don't know. It felt very calculated and performative. It's like she couldn't be vulnerable with him. So, like, actually being genuine, being real, Kath was just not an option. And I think that might be part of why Ren was like, he's not really your boyfriend. And you don't actually like him. He's an end table. Yeah, he just he's there for me to set magazines on. <laughs> like I mean, Ren's harsh about it, but she's not wrong. Mm. He's like the guy that she hung out with the most. I'd say that they were friends, but it doesn't seem like she can be genuine with him. Yeah. I think that's important. When you're in a relationship with someone, you need to actually be able to like see them and see their awfulness and see their goodness. You need to, yeah, you need to be able to be vulnerable, I think, is the key there. Mm. That's often, I think, the hardest part in a relationship, especially a new relationship, is that vulnerability. Yeah. Because you're still trying to impress. You know, there's always that compulsion to be who the person wants you to be or who you think the person wants you to be. Yeah. Just give up on that now, people. (laughs) Pro tip. I mean, just, like, be who you are and be okay with it. Don't be a jerk. I mean, be considerate, but... Also, like, if you love reading romance novels, don't be like, oh, romance novels are terrible. I only read literature. Yeah. No, just read them and be like, no, I love this. This is great. Because you're going to end up in a terrible, like, I've had a friend, you know, <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm really into football with her now husband and had to pretend to be really into football and, you know, <laughs> had to go to all these football games. She doesn't like football. She doesn't care. Oh. And you just set yourself up for a world of hurt. You know, came clean afterwards, but it's still like years of this performance of mm-hmm. yeah i like football and i think women do this a lot yeah we pretend to be into things that they're not into we whittle ourselves away to fit into an ideal and i think guys do as well in some ways when i think about the things that i really don't like in a relationship like i don't like performative romance we are being fake in order to ensnare somebody 
who actually is it worthy of us anyway so don't mm, I think that's what it comes down to like because it's, you're not being honest about who you are mm. if you don't feel comfortable being who you are with someone then maybe that is a sign that that's not the right person yeah it's about the little changes right because I think when you are in a relationship you do change but you should they should be little changes that you undergo over time rather than a long change that happens or a big change that happens at once right yeah and that comes back to Ren right she's trying to force this change overnight she's mm. decided she's going to be a new person overnight so she's actually being that kind of girlfriend who's like I'm going to pretend to be really into this thing but she's doing it for her college mates yeah she just really wants to have the experience the capital E experience which is not like it's it's going to be different for everybody yeah Um, I think that Ren is a lot like their mom in that she's trying to enact a big change but the consequences kind of get out of hand for her and I think that Kath is much more like their dad where he's like not that he's afraid of change but he's just he holds everything a lot closer to his chest so when things go badly it sticks for longer mm. I have a lot of feelings about their parents luckily we have another nine weeks to I know go so through it I just love the I, I love the conversation they have in the that Kath and her dad have when they're getting pizza and she goes oh and he goes what did you get an eyelid or something <laughs> like what a dad thing to say dad's well, did you have anything else? I feel like we rabbited on about everything but our topics, but yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's all good. It's all identity, really. Mm. That's all we've talked about is forming identity, which I think is good. The only other thing I wanted to say, there's a, a great line in chapter three where Kath says, no nerds who join fraternities. That's a whole subclass of nerds I'm not interested in. <laughs> and I've never related to something so hard in my life. Like I've spoken before about the faux bros that I work with mm-hmm. and this is them. This is them. This is the nerds who think they're not nerds and act like lads and no just stop it engineering fraternity they get drunk and design bridges oh no unsubscribe i just am not interested (laughs) and i never like this is the thing i never was interested in in being around a lot of drunk people it's just not actually that fun parties seem like an oppressive crush of not fun I waver because, as you know, I'm a massive introvert and I dislike 99% of people that I meet. But I have had some wild nights and wild parties Mm. that I have really enjoyed. And I've been to parties and things where I hated every minute of it. So I don't know what it is that makes one good and what makes one not good. Maybe it's the people I go with. Yeah, and also whether or not you have the space to, like, reclaim that equilibrium in small doses, right? Like, I found that was yeah. the bad. If I'm going to be out for a long time, I need to be able to go and be off by myself for, like, a 10-minute stretch here, a 5-minute stretch there. When you're on all the time, it's hard. It's also when I commit that I'm going to commit. So there's never just a, oh, I'll go for one or two with me. No, if I'm going out, we're out till 4 a.m. And you all better buck up because no one's getting off the party bus when I get going. (laughs) And I'm not like that anymore because I can't sustain it. I'm old. I'm 33 years old. But there was a time in my life where, yeah, there would be stumbling home at 4 a.m. I think the last party (laughs) I went to was actually your birthday party with the trivia night. It was a really good one. That wrapped up at midnight. Disappointing. (laughs) I was like, I'm so tired, but I'm having a really good time. He came really so tired. far. He was so good. <laughs> and yes, people, it was Harry Potter thing. It was. It was amazing. Our table one, I was an honorary Ravenclaw for the night. Good work. There were too many people at the Hufflepuff table. <laughs> it happened. I couldn't get a leg in there, but all the Ravenclaws I met were super nice. So The interesting thing about that was that everyone at the Slytherin table was male. I realized in retrospect, I found that very interesting. Ooh, I did not think about that. I did feel very smug to be winning over the Slytherin table because, if I remember correctly, John was on the Slytherin table. That is correct. Yes, my partner at the time was on the Slytherin table, and this was a pub. It was a trivia. Like I designed a pub quiz, basically, which was all about my life. Mm. So mm-hmm. he should have theoretically gotten all of those yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I felt extremely smug. I'm like, 
Yes, I'm amazing. Thank you. But I think my oldest friends were all on the Ravenclaw table, so maybe. Mm, mm, yeah, Liz was. <laughs> that makes all, yeah, makes all the difference, you see? That was a fun night. That was a good party. It was good. Did you have some in-depth marginalia for us? Um, I do. Um, so the bit that I chose was when Reagan is bullying Kath to go to the dining hall and she asks her seriously why aren't you on drugs and Kath's like mm, you play psychiatrist on tv and Reagan says I'm on drugs they're a beautiful thing and I was like yes so the context is that she's just kind of clocked the fact that Kath has debilitating social anxiety and probably OCD I think and she's like no I don't have time for this we're gonna go and do the thing like get your shoes on get your student ID I'm taking you to the dining hall aren't you hungry she basically makes Kath do the hard thing and I I sometimes think that this clause is what I use. Like I will, if someone I know is going through an anxious phase, I'm like, I'll just be there and walk you through it. Like I can be brave for you. The stakes are so low for me right now. Um, Mm. But the thing I really loved about this particular thing is that Reagan also has the same anxieties or similar enough that she's able to say like, I'm going to just do it and I need to be able to function. And she is on drugs. And listen, I'm also on drugs. I just want to like declare that I have really debilitating anxiety as well. Social anxiety and I have depression. And that's probably a result of my undiagnosed ADHD that I had till I was 33 and got it sorted. But like my psych didn't want to put me on stimulants because my mood was so bad. She put me on antidepressants first and I just have never gone off of them. And then I started stimulants. So I like had to get the mood fixed first. And And I have to say, like, the treatment rates for women are really low. So I love that we have a character who's so forceful and so, like, she's out there being obnoxious and loud and, like, too much in so many ways. But she's also like, I'm on drugs. They're great. Mm. Like, I love that we get an example in fiction of somebody who's on drugs and is like, yes, I'm going to talk about being on them because they actually help and are beautiful. Um, So I think I'm going to keep being the mom friend. That's how I'm going to take this going forward. And uh, I'm not going to be able to be as mean as Regan is because I'm just not mean. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to be honest and candid about being on antidepressants and being on stimulants because I think that sometimes there's a lot of fear and negativity around it. And I just want to be like, no, it's a beautiful thing because it is because I'm a much better person when I'm able to cope and when I'm not crushed under the weight of anxiety. Great. I love that because that's how we change the conversation and get it more open and get more people access to these, the right tools that they need to function in this weird society that we all live in. And that is just by talking about it. So I think that's beautiful. If your brain doesn't make enough, serotonin store-bought is fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, how about you? Did you have some in-depth marginalia? I did. So mine is in the context of that first writing class that mm. she goes to. Um, it's quite long, but I'll just read it out. So it says, Kath imagined herself at her laptop. She tried to put into words how it felt, what happened when it was good, when it was working, when the words were coming out of her before she knew what they were. Bubbling up from her chest like rhyming, like rapping, like jump roping, she thought. Jumping just before the rope hits your ankles. So she's trying to answer that the professor has posed the question, why do we write? Mm. She's trying to put into words what it is that drives her to write, what it drives her to, to do what she does. So I think it relates to the themes because writing is clearly a big part of Kat's identity. Simon Snow is a big part mm. of her identity and she is a fic writer. So this folds into who she is and how she sees herself in the world. She probably describes herself as a writer. And I also used to describe myself as a writer. You That's are how a writer. I. Used... Yeah, now. But <laughs> <laughs> I think about it a lot because I'm coming back to writing now after a long time away and finding that rhythm again, those moments when it's as easy as breathing, is just the best feeling in the world. Mm. And it, 
it can also be really, really hard sometimes. And in the moments when I think about it too much, it's when it starts to unravel. So for me, my biggest roadblock that trips me up is when I think that everyone can do this. I'm like, everyone can write. Anyone can do this. Anyone can tell a story. Like, I'm not doing anything remarkable or special. And then I can't get going again because I'm like, what are you doing? Anyone can do this. Why are you sitting here? What are you trying to say? Like, this is pointless. And then I get into this whole flop and I feel like I'll drown in that. And I have drowned in that. And I feel like I've been drowning in that for years. And now finally. And a big part of that is this podcast for me. It's the fact that I have unlocked this passion for writing. And that I feel comfortable in that sandbox again. Yes. Neil Gaiman has said about writing in the past that how you do it is you set your keyboard and you put one word after another until it's done. And it's as easy and as hard as that, you know? I think that's what I'll take from this is just you don't have to understand why you write. Like, I don't need to know why I'm writing something in order to write it. I can just put one word after another and maybe it'll there'll be something at the end and maybe they won't. But the act of putting it down is in and of itself enough. Mm. And I think that's just what I kind of really took from that. I love it. I'm so proud of you. I know it was hard because you wrote for a living. Like, that's what you did. And that can really take the joy out of writing. This is why I don't do any of my hobbies for money. Because yeah. the second it becomes a job, it's like, oh, no, I have to do it. I felt like I only had X amount of words a day. And mm. therefore, I used all my words at work. And then when I came home, I couldn't write. I still write for a living. Like, I still have to write articles. But I do maybe one or two a week. And they're short. They're 600 words. Like, they're so easy. Don't tell my boss. But they're so easy. <laughs> but also, you've like, had I don't... more than a decade of practice, right? Like, you've been doing this type yeah. of thing for a decade. It's not that it's easy. It's that you've, you're very well practiced. You're skilled in this. Yeah, it doesn't cost me anymore writing that sort of thing. Yeah. Like that sort of writing for work doesn't cost me the way it did when I was 22, 23. Yeah. And now that I've realized that, I'm like, oh, I can write. And yeah, I got back into it because I started writing fic, right? So I started mm. writing fanfic just as a way to kind of release those muscles to remind myself that I can do it. And now I'm like, oh, this is great. This is easy. This is fabulous. I can do this. And now, you know, I told you last night that I started a new original fic. Yes, like which something we're going to talk own about stuff. after we wrap up because <laughs> I want to know what you're doing. I'm excited about this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I'm so proud that's just of you. my little thing. Thank you. I'm proud of me. You said to me once that the first run after a break is the hardest. And I think the first couple hundred words after you've had a long break from writing is the, like they're really hard to do. Hmm. But also, like, this is the thing. You can just write nonsense and then you're like, no, don't like it. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah, I think that's also something that I've had to get over is this idea that this perfectionism that I that motivates my entire life. But I read something the other day that was just like, just write the first draft. Just get the words out. Mm. Get it on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be good. And then you can go back and fix it. And it's something that I learned at uni that, you know, you should just write. But it's something that I never believed because I was so held by this perfectionism now I'm like ah it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense it doesn't matter if it's mm. not in order it doesn't have to follow anything I can sort it out later so yeah that's great too it's nice to have it down I think that the thing we say in quilting is done is better than perfect yeah and that's definitely first draft territory done is better than perfect and like because the thing is with a first draft is you want to feel like you achieved it I also just want to get it out if I don't get it out quickly enough then I lose interest in it mm. so yeah, the magic sparkles go away. I hear you. Who did you want to spotlight this week? Okay, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I would like to spotlight Ren, girl. <gasps> I can wow. tell when someone's faking a life. I have been this person. I have 100% faked a life. She's not living it. She's performing it. She's not engaged. She's not, like, actually doing the thing. She's just playing a part that she thinks she needs to play. Mm. 
look, I just want to say I'm not judging her for this, even though I'm kind of judging her for this because I'm judging my past self for having done this. It's really okay to be yourself. Like, you don't have to like yourself very much, but you still have to be yourself. And I mean, like, I, I see a lot of people joking about, like, hating themselves, and I just think that it's not very helpful. Um, So I want to give this, like, little sideways nugget of wisdom from my friend Amy, who is the tiniest and most hectic person I know. I met her when she was 17, and she was extremely hectic and tiny then and she's like (laughs) extremely tiny and hectic now but she's like older and wiser and about to be a primary school teacher she's amazing but she used to say thanks I'm really pretty and I thought it was really funny so I started to say it and then I started to believe it and it was like the easiest way to give myself self-worth and I just think everybody should do this but mostly I think that Ren just needs to be like thanks I'm okay the way I am because she is she doesn't have to be anybody else she doesn't have to do college in a specific way or be angry that Kath isn't also doing college in a specific way. She's kind of right that Kath needs to go out and meet new people and grow, but she's doing a very bad job of being a sister. So I just want to put the spotlight on her and say like, you know, it's okay if you don't love yourself, but you should still be kind to yourself and you should still try to be who you are and maybe make Hmm. little changes, not big ones (laughs) all at once because it can only really happen gradually. Yeah. Good advice. Um, How about you? Who would you like to spotlight? So I want to spotlight Regan because I think what Regan does is actually really kind and really generous. So she Mm. calls Kath out. She sees that Kath is exhibiting some problematic behavior and she (laughs) is actually a bit concerned. She says to her, you know, do you have an eating disorder? Which in and of itself, the fact that she's willing to have that conversation is great too. But then she also kind of takes her under her wing and she she makes the effort to help Kath and she didn't have to she could have spent her entire term not speaking to this girl mm. she never would have had to engage she could have just been like okay she doesn't want to talk to me I don't want to talk to her great let's go on but she doesn't she goes out of her way to acknowledge Kath and to help her and I think that is a really generous thing to do because she's obviously got a lot going on she works two jobs she's got a whole life that Kath doesn't even know about but she makes time for this new girl and I think that needs to be celebrated if you see someone struggling help them be kind be gentle that's just if we all did more of that yeah it'd be great and you don't even have to be kind and like the mom way you could be kind and like oh my gosh let's just get this sorted like that like regan just doesn't take the time to molly coddle yeah like you see for example i can see my colleagues struggling to format a word document i can just be like here i'll just do it oh just get out of the way and just fix it for them without them asking and I don't have to be nice about it but now we both are happier like that's fine thank you for doing that yeah whereas I'd be like oh I'll show you it's okay I'm really good at these I like this let me do this for you yeah like I would be be impossible this is why we don't live together Jen because like you would probably want to murder me inside of a week and then I would have to apologize with baked goods and team Slitherpuff though let's get it going (laughs) we vibe we vibe um next week we're going to be reading chapters five through eight through the theme of growing up (gasps) what a great theme i know it's like perfect a coming of age story new university experience growing up it's almost like we thought about this in advance (laughs) (laughs) well i have just loved this i am very excited i think you can tell from all our random diverging Mm. topics that we've gotten lost in this is going to be a really rich subject matter for us i think identity Mm -hmm. all these things growing up great themes lots to learn Lots to think back about. It's going to be so good. I'm like really excited we're on this book and I'm really excited that we are going deep, deep diving on it because I think there's a lot there. Yeah, I agree. Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you. I will talk to you next week. Can't wait. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.